radio. Ra- radio. It's a good ass black ass time. We taking it from the stage to the airway. Welcome, welcome to another Smart, Funny, and Black Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Seals, joined by my hosts. Jeremiah, like the Bible. And Tajrani. And uh, we are broadcasting on a Friday, but giving you your Monday drive with a Friday vibe. So we... For, well, first of all, let me just tell you, um, if you are looking to see some good old-fashioned stand-up comedy, because just found out that CBS isn't even putting any more comedy shows on TV. So if you want to get laughs, you're going to have to go out the house. Uh, You can check me out at the Brea Improv on June 24th, 25th, and 26th. You can also catch me at the Kennedy Center. The beginning of my Black Outside Again tour jumps off on Saturday. No, sorry, on Friday, July 22nd and Saturday, July 23rd, where you will get to see Smart, Funny, and Black Live. So want to get into it? Get into it. Go to amandasales.com, get your tickets. Let's get that cracking. As we always get things cracking here, we got to start off with how Black do you feel today? Taj, jump us off. How Black do you feel today? So how black do I feel today? I I mean, I feel as black as um, a gospel song. I feel mm. as black as Joyful Joyful in Sister Act 2. Mm. Um, I'm just feeling really good, really great today, thankfully, because I've had a pretty blue two or three weeks. But I'm feeling good. So like that's how black I'm feeling. And I wish I had a choir robe right now to show you and really act that out. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Jeremiah, like the Bible. Like the Bible. Um, I'm feeling as black as Oprah in the color purple because all my life I had to fight, or at least all this week, because you know, these germs trying to get me and trying to hold me back. But it's okay though, because I'm gonna fight through it and prosper. And you can't hold me back. You can't keep a good man down, as the people say. You can't keep me down. So that's how black I'm feeling today, you know. A good old all my life I had to fight. Shout it's much to easier to keep a 5'10 man down than a 6'2. So. You say, y'all see how they always come back up? It came back up, but you know what? It did come y'all back need to up. understand the source of this joke is not us. <laughs> it is Jeremiah always <laughs> asserting his height to us on a regular basis. <laughs> and I just must say, there's like really nothing like a man that's 6'2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I didn't even throw in all that. However, <laughs> how black uh, are you feeling, Amanda Seals? I, you know what? I'm feeling Huey Freeman from the Boondocks Black today, mm. where he is always just having to school everybody around him and put them on game. That's how I be feeling in the comments on Instagram. So I've been really trying my best to not comment on Instagram because it always warrants ire and ignorance. Not always, but often. And I just had someone telling me like, that I am perpetuating oppression by being a part of Hollywood and perpetuating a lie uh, by saying that Biden was the only other option besides Trump. I'm like, what, bitch, wait, who? Who was the other option? Who was the other option? There's Green Party candidates, but they don't, they're they're not a significant option to win. They could be, they should be. We got to really actually start putting energy towards that. But the Huey Freeman of the Boondocks was just like, God damn, why do I got to always educate y'all mofo? I just want to know how does Hollywood tie into the two-party electoral system? Because I have a blue system. check. It's, okay. Because I have a blue check. And whenever 
you know, it, whatever it feels like right to throw in that, folks just be like, and because your blue check, I'm like, I'm paying lots of taxes. <laughs> lots of them. I'm not in, I'm not in the, ta- I'm not in the bracket that gets the tax break. <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not in that Will Smith, Chris Rock bracket. I'm not up there. I'm in the bracket where they're like, gotcha, bitch. Gotcha, made it. <laughs> Thought you made it. <laughs> we gonna take all of that. So that's how black I'm feeling today. Um, our show's gonna be a little different today, y'all, because due to our recording schedule, we were uh, not able to speak directly to the terrorist attack in Buffalo, and we felt it incredibly necessary, particularly because we are a show that prides ourselves on speaking through the black lens to address it. Um, in a thorough way and not just in a cursory way. And so we have decided to dedicate the first half of today's show in speaking about it from a number of points of views and, and hopefully, you know, inspiring you guys to speak about it and, and extend beyond just this issue because it's a much bigger issue to speak about it amongst your circles and your group chats and your DMS, et cetera. So um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So to start, I'm just going to honor the victims of the mass shooting in Buffalo by running through their names. We have Celestine Cheney, who is 65 years old, Roberta A. Drury, who is 32 years old, Andre McNeil, who is 53 years old, Catherine Massett, who is 72 years old, Marcus D. Morrison, who is 52 years old. Hayward Patterson, who is 67 years old, Aaron Salter Jr., who is 55 years old, Geraldine Talley, who is 62 years old, Ruth Whitfield, who is 86 year old, and Pearl Young, who is 77 years old. May they rest in peace in their yes. untimely passing. Um, you know, there's been a lot of Outrage, thankfully, not thankfully, that's not the word I'm looking for, but outrage um, expectedly by the black community, you know, in response to this. Um, I, I, I saw a tweet that I resonated with uh, where it's like there was definitely more white women outraged about Will Smith smacking Chris Rock than I've seen. I saw that. Yeah. About um, this. And I think. A lot of that has to do with this continued effort to look at these incidents as isolated, you know, as this is just, you know, one crazy guy, you know, mm-hmm. he's an anomaly. But I think for a lot of black folks, we do not like it's like when people come with the not all white people. Um, I'm like, if you have to say that, then that means that there's a majority that you are singling yourself out of. Mm-hmm. And so we're addressing the majority. Because ultimately, there's a continued growing, like exponentially growing effort to bring white supremacy to the center as the bottom line of this country. And it always has been the bottom line, but they're trying to bring it back to the front line. And um, it's imperative that, in my opinion, it's imperative that we wake up in not just acknowledging that this is real, but also in acknowledging that we have a real part to play in challenging it. 
you know, I completely agree. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm tired. Um, these aren't the types of messages that anybody wants to see on TV. It's not the type of news story that we want to tune in to see. Not that the news is ever bubbly or fuzzy right. or anything like that, but Definitely uh, for me, it's just kind of like in general, the profile of the person that keeps carrying out these types of attacks, it's the same profile. So, you know, just how you said, we saw that tweet where it's just kind of like, you know, the outrage about that has just dragged on in a news cycle for 10 days and people have just kind of let this trail off. It was kind of like the tweets that resonated with me were kind of like, I know that we're not going to say it's mental illness again. I know that right. we're not going to talk about this person being a lone wolf, um, right. especially when there's a manifesto that's found. Um, right. A well-researched, written out yeah. on pages, on pages, on pages. We're talking about someone who traveled 200 miles. Who staked it out. You know what I'm saying? To to carry out an attack. Um I also love this yeah. idea that like 18 year olds can't do heinous things like bitch where right. <laughs> like, like, and y'all are trying folks as adults every day of the week. So well, I was going to say like, and that's the other thing, like how, how do we view 18 in what well, world? The AP, the Associated Press yeah. viewed Mike Brown as an 18 year old black man. And they, re- they review, they, uh, referred to this individual as an 18 year old teenager, white teenager. So yeah. I think it just depends on the color of your skin, how 18 years old, you know, applies, Absolutely. so to speak. Absolutely. Um, but this kind of stuff for me, uh, and I know we're going to get to this later, uh, it drives home, but I'm a person who went to school upstate. I have family in upstate New York. I have family um, that I used to visit close to Buffalo out in Ro- Rochester. Um, and these are our communities. We know these people. We know these faces. Um, and just like these are our communities, like I said, we're talking about the individuals that keep carrying these attacks out. It's this, it's it's turning into just the same mugshot we're seeing over and over and over with the same type of story over and over and over. Um, and then it's almost like there's a ripple effect because there were quite a few um right other incidents that took place mm-hmm. over the weekend as well. Yeah. I think that's the craziest thing about it. I think you kind of to your point, size, you kind of made. You hear it, but it's almost like, I think in America, you kind of are like, oh, that sounds regular at this point. Like, oh, somebody shot someone. Like, there's a shooting. It doesn't sound so out of the ordinary. It sounds like in the realm of possibility at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think we're definitely moving into a space, too, where now you have these racially motivated attacks Correct. that are happening. Because, of course, there's been a history, you know, with Columbine, school shootings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or even you go back to, like, the chart shooting um, with Dylan Roof in South Carolina, like, more recently. Mm-hmm. You see, like, the transition between just, I guess, attacks that were associated with, like, maybe bullying in schools or mental health cases sometimes to actually being, like you said, someone had a manifesto. They're like, I'm purposely targeting Black people and going to this place to kill them, like, traveling so so far to go to this Black community and, like, cause harm. And, and I, had Dylan Roof's name written on the on gun. The gun. Mm-hmm. So it's really just unfortunate. I think even for us as Black people, it's kind of like you have to be on guard about everything. Like you, you're on guard about regular stuff in your life. I'm sure you you, are, you both as like as women, you have things you're on guard right. about as always. Just being a person in the world. And now you have this other thing that's almost like 
you kind of feel like almost irrational kind of thinking about it because like you can't control it but it's also like it's a possibility at this point like i can go into the grocery store and it, it could uh go left real quick you have to have that in the back of your brain at all times mm-hmm. as a black person which is really just it's just one of them hard things that you just have to kind of deal with that i hate so much it's it's some oh go ahead i was gonna say like like i was telling you guys yesterday in the mid 90s when we were starting to see church bombings again, um, and attacks on black churches. I grew up in a super small town, as you guys know, and I went yes, to a super you're from the country, you're <laughs> from the country in the North. Yes. We know. But, um, I went to a very small family church in this town. And when those things were happening, my parents were absolutely like, and I used to, I should also say, um, I would go to church by myself. Neither one of my parents were like wildly religious. Um, but they were like, absolutely not. Granted, I would be with mm. like the elders and my church family, but they were just kind of really paranoid. And at that time, you know, being seven, eight, nine, it's kind of like, it's fine. Like we just saw it on the news and growing up, it's like, oh no, this stuff is, it's cyclical. Right. It's like a disease in our society because as much as things are changing, as much as things are advancing, a lot of things are staying the same. And people that carry out these types of attacks, they're sticking to a blueprint. Well, the culture isn't changing. You know, the technology is changing. And I think there are aspects of culture that is cha- that are changing. You know, the trans movement has con- has continued to grow in terms of its visibility and um, understanding in the past, you know, 20 years. And we've definitely seen, I feel like, a greater movement amongst the youth around environmental awareness and, you know, really like, oh, shit, like we have to save this planet because it's not going to be here when we're older. But in terms of like the culture of America, it only gets to change. But so far, because there are just so many people here that have something real to attach to, which is that the fabric of this country was built on white supremacy. I mean, that's not something they're just making up. You know, they're able to fly flags that say, don't tread on me. And they're able to fly Confederate flags because this really is a part of our history. Mm. You know, it's, it's a true in fact, part of our history. So that's why when we see all these efforts being made to undermine the teaching of history and to, you know, create this false narrative that critical race theory is simply teaching about racism. You know, we know that that is an active measure that's being taken to undo any teaching that is going to undo that culture of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And I, listen, I am, I am just, I feel like I'm screaming all the time because this isn't new for the world. This is exactly the process that Adolf Hitler went through um, to bring fascism to Germany. They, I, I distinctly remember my seventh grade teacher, Miss Lewis, laying out for us the term scapegoat. And at the time, like I'm learning the term because we're in class, you know, but I didn't really truly, 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 truly understand it um, until I got older. But I'm seeing the scapegoat is every, every other, right? So in this country, the scapegoat is the other. And it's not to say that that wasn't the case in Germany because it was the other, but they had very specifically focused on Jewish people, right? right. In this country, it's everybody that's not white. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's not white, right? And there's this effort that is so, Im- I mean, it is exactly the effort that was taken in in Nazi Germany to create Nazi Germany, the, the feeling of getting the, getting those lone wolves and making them feel like, no, but you're a part of this. And all you got to do is show us that you're a part of this and you'll be a part of this forever. Right? Like this person now can feel like he is a part of a, of a, of a, a legacy, right? Because that is what has been presented to him. 
And let me also say, because someone had come at me on Instagram or on, the, on Twitter or something and was like, well, you know, what about the man who did the bombing in the New York City subway? He was a black nationalist. Isn't that terrorism too? And I said, yes, it is terrorism. The thing about it, though, it's caused by the same thing that caused the Buffalo grocery store shooting, which is white supremacy, mm-hmm. because they wouldn't need to be black nationalists without white supremacists. <laughs> Extremism happens because of an extreme. Yeah, right. That's that's the thing. And I'm I'm. I was watching this documentary called Amandla, a revolution in, in four part in four part harmony. And it's about the, the role that music played in the uh, in the people's rise to destroy apartheid. And I just hope if, if, if any of y'all have four dollars to spare, that you take the time to go on um, Apple TV or, you know, iTunes and, and watch Amandla of Four Part Harmony. It might even be on YouTube for free. But, and I want you to watch it because, again, my critical thinking mind is always trying to get folks to see that we do have blueprints. Like, we're, we're, we're not just swimming in a sea of, like, what do we do? Unfortunately, this ain't no new shit. Mm-hmm. So we actually do have blueprints on, you know, what has come before in terms of the rise of people and the challenging of these notions. And we, I think the common denominator is folks never think it can happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think another common denominator though also is like the media in a sense, like obviously yes. we 1,000%. see these things happen over and over. And I think the media, we talked about even just like the AP, people have called AP out about how they even kind of use teenager versus men when, when talking about um, Black people versus um, non-Black people. But even this whole situation um, in Buffalo, you kind of saw people pointing to people like Fox News for perpetuating certain um, beliefs like replacement theory and th- things like that on the news cycle that kind of like pump people up to go do heinous crimes. And- Don't even say kind of. Don't well, to do of. that, you're right. You're right. To pump people up to go do heinous crimes and commit domestic terrorism. So what do y'all think about that? Like just like how much of, of a role does the media really play in that? Like media is they- king. That yeah. that phrase media is king is real. It's very real. It's it's very real. And you know, I went to school for broadcast journalism, uh, news Flex. specifically. Um okay. at didn't both of y'all go to school for some kind of journalism situation? No, I actually went to school for radio, television, and film with a concentration in film production. So, you know. And I was broadcast journalism at the prestigious SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Okay, so TV. Yes. TV. And y'all know where I went. I ain't got to tell y'all where we, I went. We y'all don't. <laughs> um, but while I was actually in school, you know, you learn. It's about being unbiased. It's about doing really good reporting. So we get thrown through the ringer and... I pulled myself out of that ringer uh, upon graduating. I was like, I can't do this. And part of it is just kind of as much as people want to do unbiased reporting, one, it's hard to find, but two, if your personal interests are wrapped up in what's happening, it's very hard to deliver a story. I mean, black journalists do do this all the time. I know there was a gentleman on TV and he was just like, I've done 15 of these at this point, tears in his eyes. And he was like, I'm saying the names, I'm reporting the story. And I know that nothing is going to change. Um, That's unbiased reporting. That's doing what needs to be done. He inserted that moment into that because people need to see that there's a human effect that that's happening. Um, 
But we all know now that the news is completely biased. We've all always had like an idea. But well, I mean, it's, it's, more it's becoming even more at, there yeah. you go. That's what I was going to say. It's become even more in that mm-hmm. realm because at one point in time, the bottom line of the news was to at least fake non-bias, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah. now it's like, now nah, we wanted to sensationalize it. And I talk about all the time, the way that reality TV has just really, in my opinion, had an incredibly negative impact on our society, the same way that like social media has had an incredibly Im- negative impact on our society. I'm not saying there aren't positives, right? Like mm-hmm. you're talking to somebody whose career did change by nature of social media and being able to speak to people. There were, there is a number of people whose lives did change by, by them being able to be on, um, Reality shows, you know, like I never would have known about Rachel Zoe if I would never have known about LC if the, if there hadn't been reality shows. So I'm not completely wanting. I'm not trying to say completely that reality shows that there haven't been, you know, outliers. But the concept, this this idea that people don't know if this is real or not, mm-hmm. has now permeated all realms of society, and yeah. it's really. In a, particularly in a country where education is not priority at all. No, you know, on a medium that people have always called the idiot box. It's really created this false sense of, it's not even a false sense of it's created this, this inability for people to determine what's different between the real and the fake. The fact that I was trending on Twitter for wearing an AKA sweater and it was my, character on a TV show wearing the sweater, but Mm -hmm. people were upset about it and mad at me as an individual. To me, that was, that itself was an indicator that like, okay, we really got it twisted. Mm -hmm. We don't, we're not seeing this. And I know that I've, you know, I know people are like, when people talk about like video games, like is, can that really like influence young people to want to go out and shoot? And I mean, they become more, the games become more and more real, right? Mm-hmm. Like this whole, you know, the, the single player games where you are with the POV. It wasn't like that. We were growing up at I mean, all. Duck Hunt was the closest <laughs> at now all. You really out there killing people. You in the trenches. That's so and I, I just, there is I don't a transfer know how to real life today. I think there is a transfer where you kind of see like, I think if you mimic behavior long enough too, like, even yeah, whether yep. it's pretend, I think sometimes people pretend on the internet, like they kind of mm-hmm. create an image of themselves. You're still kind of pseudo doing it. So your brain is kind of mimicking it in real life also, whether you really believe that there's a connection or not. I think there is a connective through line. So I definitely can see how reality TV, social media, all these different things that people kind of, that aren't necessarily real, how we consider things to be real. They're almost like these pseudo realities do become real in some in some capacity Absolutely. or have real impact for people that yes. like watch them and yeah. consume them. Well, it's like race. Race is not real, but it has real consequences. Mm-hmm. I like it's this whole conversation. Right. I mean, I think even for me, like, I think this is like, I think Trayvon Martin, obviously, is the first time in my life where I actually was like, oh, I'm in danger as a Black person. I think you know Mm-hmm. as a young black person like oh you're in danger like you know there, there are powers that be or systemic issues that affect you but i think that was like the real first moment where i'm like oh my god like i could literally be gunned down on the street and now like i think since then it's only gotten progressively worse where even i'm like i i, I was telling you guys the other day i went to the grocery store, grocery store after this and now i'm literally like looking at the uh, exits i'm looking like okay the person in front of me is not take, is not going quick enough i'm gonna have to get about the grocery store really quickly and it's, it gives you a little level level of ink anxiety that you don't want to live with if that makes sense it's kind of like it's scary almost to be like i'm literally living my life on the edge doing a very 
everyday thing, like going to the grocery well, store. Those Even are our Smart Funny and Black live shows. You know, my Smart Funny and Black live shows, I, I asked the audience. Well, first, I, I asked the security guards at the doors to identify themselves and we point out the exits. And then I asked the audience to greet each other. You know, who's to your left, to your right? It's like church. And, you know, part of that is to create community in the room. But the other part is to personalize yourself to the person next to you who might be plotting against us. And, um, you know, there's there's been studies. There's been studies and also um, an episode of Grey's Anatomy that show that personalizing yourself to excuse me, to an active shooter um, can, you know, help to create the human in front of them versus the target in front of them. Mm-hmm. And that can help to possibly curtail their, their them carrying out their mission. But it's just, right. I just remember I started doing that after Dylan Roof mm-hmm. and really feeling like, we are a congreg. We're we're uh, we're a whole room of black people congregated together in celebration. This is the exact type of bullshit that this is the exact type of place that the bullshit will get on, and it's incredibly scary to me. But I also know it's incredibly necessary to me that we have these spaces. Right, right. I'm about to call in the fruit of Islam. <laughs> so, like one thing I know we've discussed is, you know, what does this revolution now look like for us in 2022? Um, because we have the tools, we have the history books. Um, we've seen what, what has happened in the civil rights movement, um, different liberation movements. So how do we continue the work that's been done already in a way that helps us push forward as a community, as a whole? Because these situations are hard. And part of the difference between now and then is we get instant replay because this stuff is absolutely everywhere. So it's kind of like, you know, looking at a history book and looking at the pictures that have been released to us, because we know that there's more media out there than what we have access to. But now it's like, as soon as one of these things happens, um, it's everywhere. It's on Twitter, it's on Instagram and people um, won't censor it. So as brutal as something can be, it's there. So, um, you know, as a community, how do we move forward? And, um, you know, h- how do we just hold ourselves up? Because this is something that keeps breaking us down. Well, you know, at the end of each show, I say, you know, we are each other's business. We look out for each other and we lift each other up. And I know people may just be used to me saying that, like how uh, Homeboy used to say at the end of <laughs> of uh, Deaf Comedy Jam, good, good, good night and God bless y'all, you know, whatever. But what I mean by that, is that colonialism also centered individualism in a way that has been very harmful to community strengthening and building. Um, If you notice, when we see the colonialism that spread across this globe, what it did was it decimated tribes, right? It decimated tribes, groups of people that had a link to each other that meant something more than just a name, right? It was it was how they identified themselves. It was their personhood. Um, and of course, we, you know, I didn't live in that time. So I'm sure there was folks that was like, I don't like my tribe. I'm about to get a new tribe. But the fact is the tribes were there. Okay. And that's in the motherland. That's in Australia. Um, that's in Mongolia. That is how things were. Mm-hmm. The thing about it though, is that in the effort to divide and conquer, they successfully have, you know, created this idea that, 
you know, tribe, tribe thinking is a bad thing. You know, the group think is a bad thing. And it's like, no, um, being able to listen to everybody is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and identify, well, okay, that's not going to work. And then you being able to self-identify, well, I shouldn't say shit. Cause I don't know anything about this, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but when I say we are each other's business, what I'm saying is that when I see Black people in the world, I consider everybody my business. I consider the Black child getting yelled at by their mother in the grocery store for no fucking reason. That's my business. And then when I say to the person, like, why are you yelling at your two-year-old at the top of your lungs in this middle aisle of this sea town? And she says, that's none of your business. I'm like, I'm right here watching y'all. That is my business. When I'm at the All-Star game and this cop is harassing every Black person that walks by and he walks, and when a brother walks by, he starts harassing that brother. And I say to him, hey, um, are you good? And his girl says, he's fine, he's fine. And the brother was like, thank you, thank you. But I was like, you know, sis, I'm not trying to come in between. I'm just trying to create numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I see that as my business. And when we see folks like the young boy who was handcuffed um, in New York for stealing a, a quote unquote, for quote unquote, allegedly stealing a bag of chips and the brother who was filming and was like, didn't even know this young man, but was like, get your hands off of him. He's thinking how I'm thinking. We are each other's business. I think for so much of us, we look at our own success as all that matters. Um, we don't, we also look at other people's success as a getting in the way of ours. Um, we also have an issue with being able to identify what success is. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, what is black power to you? Because if it has anything to do with being, um, with having access to white spaces, you got to rethink. Mm -hmm. You got to rethink because the civil rights movement was unfinished. It was unfinished. The, the, the goal of integration wasn't necessarily to say, oh, now we can get to have white spaces. The goal of integration was to say, now we can have equal access to the resources that white people have had this whole time. Yep. And the next step that should have happened was there should have been a cultural shift that says, our bad for not giving you access to these spaces and we need to correct our behavior that caused this to happen and change the direction of this country. And it never happened. And that's, where, that's why we're right back here. That's why we're right back here. And I, 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 I think that when we talk about, well, what can we do? It begins on a ground level. It begins on a ground level of identifying what matters to you and changing how you interact with your community, changing how you call what you call community. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, uh, no, I think that, um, community looks so different to us nowadays. I think that to your point, like going to a show like Smart, Funny and Black, there is a sense, um, and I'm saying this as a person who has attended a show and who has worked on a show, there's an automatic, really great sense of community where, you know, people are in a safe space. Um, you know, I think back in the day, church was yeah. paramount. Every Sunday, you know where you're going to see your people. But you know why? Yeah. But like, do you know why? Why we were in church every because in, like, well, well, because slavery, in slavery, that was the day. So that like, was the only day we got off. Yeah. So like, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's a tradition that we're slowly but surely just losing over time as we discover different way, like realms of spirituality and different things like that. But, you know, that's a that's community. 
um, no matter how you look at it. And oftentimes that community is seen as family. So, you know, now it's kind of like you have to find your tribe. Um, and it goes back to what you were saying, just like that, that tribe mind, people think that it's a bad thing. It's really, um, it's not, you have to find people you feel safe with. You have to feel, find spaces with people that help you grow, um, and who are like-minded, especially with, um, situations like this. Um, and I'm saying that we have to look at ourselves in that way. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I feel like there, there are Africa is made up of a number of countries with a number of tribes, but the overhead is, yeah, and we're all from Africa, mm-hmm. right? So there's the individualism, and then there's also the unity of that, right? In the Caribbean, it's like, we're all from different islands. I'm Grenada, someone's Jamaica, et cetera. But then in certain spaces, it's like, Carib people, we're all, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I want that for us in America. When I did Smart, Funny, and Black, it was to create a space that spoke to that we do have a shared culture. We do have a community. This is not some made up shit that's only based on hip hop. Like, cause that's what I started to see. People thinking like, that's all this is. So when we talk about ways in which we, ways in which we actively challenge these things, we cannot control the behavior of others, but we can control the behavior of ourselves. Yep. And I feel like that's, and I know somebody's going to be like, that's respectability politics. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not respectability politics because the goal isn't, you know, to make them like us. That's not the goal. The goal is to strengthen us so that we can create the change that we want to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I send my love to Buffalo, um, to the families of all the individuals who were involved in this terrible act. And, I Everybody who's triggered by this, like, yep. I'm sure this moment yep. triggered other people's past incidents that have happened yeah. that are similar. No. Yep, for sure. Um, and sometimes people are numb. And I, like, watching something like this happen, like, my response was delayed. The first thing I said about it to anybody was to you all the other day. And it was days had passed. But it's just kind of like, how do you even react or, like, ha- like how do you handle it? How can how can we continue to just kind of shoulder it? Because when one of us is hurting in general, all of us feel it. It's a terrible shared experience to have. That's what I'll say. It's a really terrible shared experience to have. So to echo Amanda's point, sending my love to all the people of Buffalo and all the people who have experienced something um, this devastating and this senseless. We will be right back here at Smart Funny Black Radio with your Black Urit News. Uh, I'm your host, Amanda Seals. Next to me is my co-host. Jeremiah Like the Bible. And Tajrani. Welcome back. Smart Funny Black Radio in your radio or in your podcast headphones because you can also check us out on podcasts on right, right where pods are casted i'm your host amanda seals joined by jeremiah like the bible and tajrani uh if you're just joining us we we spent the last portion of the show just paying homage and having a real in-depth discussion as just black folks living in this time this this crazy fucking time uh around the terrorist 
act that took place in Buffalo. And uh, again, we were not, we record on Fridays and it airs on Mondays. And so we were unable to address it in last week's show. And I wanted to make sure that we gave the, the souls that were taken and the community um, and, and you all, our listeners, the opportunity to really uh, think about it, especially since like Taj said, there's a delayed reaction that happens when something this tragic takes place. And it's like, we have to be emotional. We have, we actually have to be emotional, by the way, we have to be emotional, but we can all, we also need to apply critical thinking. And um, I'm hoping that the conversation that we had inspired that in at least some of you. Um, But Normally we'd have a guest right now, but instead we are going to bring you some accurate news and lighten things up a bit. Taj, take it away. So, uh, you know, we discussed Young Thug and Gunna uh, and their comrades in their Rico case and how song lyrics. I'm mad you call them comrades. <laughs> <laughs> like they are a part of a communist, <laughs> a communist cell They're th- in Decatur, Georgia. <laughs> They're homies. Well, let the people tell it. They might be. They're <laughs> uh, homies. Uh, we discussed how they got caught up in a Rico case um, in the state of Georgia and how their song lyrics were used against them. Uh, but on the flip side, A bill has been passed in New York state to protect artists and their creative speech. So the Senate bill S7527, known as the rap music on trial bill, um, has passed in the Senate with a vote of 38 to 23. In the New York State Yes, in the New York State Senate. Yes. Um, The bill seeks to amend state criminal procedure law to strictly limit the use of a defendant's lyrics or other forms of creative expression as evidence or character assessments. Um, So this is really, really big for artists. Um, You know, we saw Bobby Shmurda a couple of years ago get caught up because of music lyrics. He ended up doing uh, quite a bit of time. Um, So this is a set forward for artists and their creative speech and their, um, you know, freedom of speech in general. So it'll be interesting to see if other states follow um, and how this is handled. I mean, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important. Uh, You know, are we applying the same thing to actors and to, you know, writers? And that's, that's the argument that's always been made. Like, you know, are we going to judge Johnny Depp in his Amber Heard case based on, you know, how he behaved in <laughs> as Jack Sparrow? <laughs> like, Holy you know, Wonka. I think, um, you know, but I also think and this is not devil's advocacy, but this is just realism. Um, you know, the, the beauty of, of the pen as it relates to specifically hip hop has been and I literally wrote my master's thesis on this um, has been you know, the way that the hip hop album can serve as this narrative, right. As this self-written narrative that I, I theorize is an extension of the slave narrative, which was our first opportunity to write our own stories Mm. versus having to, you know, be depicted by our captors and depicted by, um, you know, the oppressor. And so I think for me, it's like, I, I mean, I literally, so in my thesis, I compared Richard Wright's native son to Biggie's Ready to Die. And I did like, I compared like songs and chapters um, and went down the whole album. And again, this brings us back though, I think to this blurred line of reality, right? Because even though it was very clear that Biggie was speaking from his experiences, like I didn't think of it as like, he's doing this right now, you know? And I didn't think that it was, um, necessary telling of his character, because I think at the end of the day, 
even if your version of your album is not your slave narrative, even if it's not your personal narrative, like you, you shouldn't have to be held to that. Like you're an artist. Uh, if you listen to Kendrick's new album, that's just straight up artist. I mean, jackpot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we've been honest though. A lot of these artists, it's not going to be their lyrics that get them caught up. It's going to be what they post on actual social media that gets them caught up. You <laughs> know what? Time. That's what's going to get them caught up. You know what? I've had to tell a nigga to take a gun off social media before. Like, what are you doing? Who do, who do you think is watching you? <laughs> well, someone did say that they said they found it interesting that the state of Georgia had eyes on every single rapper from here Why to Why did Timbuktu, you find that interesting? But they could they can't identify a, a shooter that's going to go kill people. So, you know, that's, you know. The they government. can't identify a shooter? Like uh, the shooter, like in Buffalo, they can they couldn't pick him out. They were able to identify the doings of every rapper from the past five years. But those are two years. different. Well, who couldn't pick him out? Well, like the government, like the way they could, like they have, they're able to track all these rappers and know what they were doing from here to Timbuktu for the past five years, what they, what they been, who they been with. But when something like a mass shooting case takes place, everyone's like, oh, well, there's no way to really track these things. We don't really know when they're going to happen. I call bull. Well, the real bull is our government. And it's, a, it's, it's actually like a, I think a lot of people feel like, well, if you, it's a slippery slope, if you start um tracking people like tracking people before that you know it's like some minority report shit right like you're dealing with the cognition the cognizance or whatever they're called the recog the precogs um but they do it with folks that are not from here right like if they're tracking somebody from an arab country and they feel like they saying some weird shit they're like ah, 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 ah. nope let's just shut it down before it even becomes a situation whereas these white th- these white boys that are having these manifestos they're not just starting right but the law, I mean, as somebody who like I had a stalker and they were like, we can't do anything about it. Like he's in my DMs, like he was in my in my email. He would send me like 95 emails a day. He started threatening my life. And they were like, well, we can't do anything about it until he hurts you. Insanity. So what are we? All, all you can do is file a, a order of protection. And then if they violate the order of protection that. So, you know, the system itself is designed to protect the people who only need one shot. That's the thing. Yep. Only one shot. Only need is one shot. Mm-hmm. But you, but niggas do be doing affidavit raps, though. That's that's a fact. They like really doing affidavit raps, which also says to me, can we bring back metaphors? Like that's also a problem. Like remember when Grace Jones said, "Pull up to the bumper, baby." That was talking about fucking in the ass, okay? <laughs> but there was a creativity, okay? There was a there was a lyricism. There there, there was a literacy to that. Now niggas is like, I just want to shoot my gun at everyone. And you're like, well, maybe what if we said something like, I want to raise my peace as fireworks. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. A little bit more metaphorical, a little bit more, you know, softer, a little softer. I just more, it's really creative because at the end of the day, like these niggas aren't really saying much different than NWA. Like cats ain't saying much different than, mm-hmm. because because black people have been under attack and using art to express themselves forever, for a very long time. Right. So it's just come to a point now. And you know who I blame? I'm going to bring it all the way back to who I always blame the same person. Who do I blame? Future. And I have no idea who you were about to say. I was blame because Future made it okay to not be able to rap. I don't know. I feel like it's a couple people before Future who couldn't rap that made it okay. I'm on the mic. I'm talking. 
wearing sunglasses. You walk in, listen to it. Like, that's the future. But he had a sound, though. He brought a sound to the industry that, you know, people love. He All he did was remix what T-Pain was doing. But that's a conversation for a different day. And T-Pain was mad about it. And T-Pain can actually sound. That's T-Pain, a Florida boy. Love him. Okay. Well, on another note, speaking of, you know, people, you know, really stepping up to the plate, like um, Future, who changed the game for rappers. Stop. Amanda is like giving the dead shit through her sunglasses. <laughs> through <right>. these shades, <laughs> like full tent. The NBA is finally stepping up as an ally, ally to fight for um, Brittany Griner and bring her home. So if you don't know, Brittany Griner has been detained for the past three months after she was apprehended at a Moscow area airport for allegedly carrying cannabis oil in her luggage. And it's been crickets from the NBA and really everybody about it, even the government, about bringing her home. But on Tuesday, the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, said he's working with the WNBA commissioner, um, Kathy Engelbert, to safely bring Griner home back to the U.S. Well, they extended her time there. They did. Yes. Like They extended it. I can't remember how many days, but it's like a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And the and, only person who spoke out about it thus far has been like Lisa Leslie. Yeah, which... I think it's just important to know. Um, I know that this case is extremely complicated. So why is it extremely complicated? So, just because of everything that was happening with Russia and Ukraine. Um, mm. But it has been said you know, in different places um, that lawyers had kind of asked the WNBA and the NBA to kind of chill um, and not make too much of a, I don't want to call it a fuss, but not be too, too loud about it. Um And that is something that I understand because I was pretty furious that we hadn't really seen anybody in the NBA say anything or do anything, especially when the WNBA has been known to stand up for what's right and to really um, to kneel for what's right. (laughs) That's that's actually the truth. And, um, you know, and they have been leaders where the NBA has followed in their footsteps. Um, but the WNBA is usually like first to do something, even if that means speaking out against one of their own owners <laughs> in the middle of championship season. Um, right. So for me, it's, shout out to Lisa Leslie. Um, I know Chris Paul had definitely worn a shirt with Brittany Griner on it. There was another player who definitely said bring home BG, but um I just think that sometimes there is power in numbers. So I hope that once folks um, get the okay, assuming that they're waiting for the okay, that they really do um, stand up and speak for her. Um, and, And not just in an effort to bring her home, but also to just continue to show folks what is right. Period. Um, And that's what they should do, because if it was one of them, I'm sure that she'd be on the front line with her WNBA sisters Mm -hmm. talking about bring bring them back. Also, it's like if she wasn't a black woman, honey, have been home by now. If this was Diana Taurasi, she would have been up in this bitch like all the way back. Sue Bird would have been back, you know, Um, and and I'm sure they would agree. (laughs) So there's that. Um, But speaking of sports and locker rooms, um, (laughs) you know, we, we this this episode started off very heavy as it should and uh as it needed to but i always feel like you know in the effort of of bringing balance to you guys um you know one of the one of the complete other sides the antithesis to destruction is to talk about dick so jeremiah can you just please (laughs) I know that we're a little late on this story, but we didn't get to talk about it. So we don't talk about it right now. So basically, 
though as the world already knows, Jesse Williams, best known for his role as Dr. Avery on Grey's Anatomy. He's now on Broadway, guys. Yay, and the Twitter streets were basically going up for him. Like he was trending because basically last week his nudes were released on the internet. Well, he has a he has a nude scene mm-hmm. in the play. Yes. And a, the Broadway you say nudes play. like somebody leaked nudes. like yeah, that, dick yeah. pics. So <laughs> Well, <laughs> so his uh, here's a scene in the Broadway um, play Take Me Out, which basically leaked on to the Internet. Where there's like a locker room scene where, where the actors are in full nudity, full you know, frontal. head to toe, full frontal. And people were, you know, really intrigued. Impressed. Impressed, intrigued. There's a lot of a lot of uh, chatter about, you know. The size of Jesse's member on the internet. There, I think we're all just, you know, we all just want to commend, um, you know, not commend is not the word, but I think there was a lot of folks <laughs> that were like, oh, like his philanthropy and his benevolence is 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 the same size as his <laughs> body parts, and we we like to see it. I, I, I like that for him. Um, it was interesting to me. I, I have a uh, shut. Uh, no, 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 up, y'all. <laughs> she sent it to us. She said it was interesting. Well, no, no, no. Me. I'm gonna tell you. Tasha to play coy because her dad. No, I'm gonna tell you why I think that this is interesting. <laughs> so, um, he is now Tony nominated for his role in this play. So, shout out to him. Um, because that's was that before right. or after? So the, I'm gonna get. I'm, the, that's what I find interesting. Oh. So no sooner do we get the Tony nod going, we get the leak of the nude. So. Um, I'm not saying it was planned or it was fixed or anything, but it was like hand in hand because this movie has been, I mean, this movie, excuse me, this play has been running for months and people have kept their cell phones locked up in the little baggies that they get when they go in for months. So I was just like, the minute that he's ready to get his award is the minute that this stuff pops out on stage. It was um, a coincidence, a wild coincidence. You know, my, my conspiracy a lot of these shows on Broadway have been closing. And they said, you know what? We not have to Not us. Because for Color Girls, who considered suicide when the rainbow was enough by Nizaki Shange, only had a two-week run. A two-week With run. With seven Tony nods, these I shows. think. With seven Tony yeah. nods. Because the, the white woman who produced it did not market it and did not put energy behind it or money behind marketing it. And it's like, what did you think? You was just going to put a, put the woman on stage and that was it? It's Broadway. People need to have a reason to spend their money to come see it. Absolutely. Show. Take me out said, we're not playing. Take again. me out said. The <laughs> it literally said, take me out. Take me out said, we're not playing. And also we're extended for some time now. Jesse really tried to be like, I don't understand what all the hoopla is. It's just the body part. If you don't. He did respond. So when he was on Watch What Happens Lives, his quote was, it's a body. Once you see it, you realize it's whatever. It's a boy. I just have to make it not a big, I just have to make it not that big of a deal. I whatever mean, I do think. Talented. Whatever keeps you talented. Whatever I mean, you I think you. if he came out and was like, yeah, my shit is big. That, that seems kind of corny too, to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all, y'all know what's going on. So he has to kind of like play it kind of like, coy, like, you know, it's whatever. Did you consider that big dick energy? His response? I didn't see the response. I didn't get the whole hoopla around it. I mean, it, I mean, like, you know, niggas be. You just read his response. Did you consider it big dick energy? I mean, no, I feel like he, I feel like he was trying to play cool. I feel like he was trying to play cool. Yeah. I feel like he was trying to like really keep it really uh, PC. I think it, it was definitely keeping it PC, but he um, also <laughs> has commented and just kind of said uh, what a couple of other people have said too, like consent is a thing. And, you know, when they enter the theater, they're entering 
a space that's supposed to be safe in this particular instance. Um, and there's a trust that happens. So um, he did make a comment that was just kind of like, you know, we just have to remember respect and um, consent. But I think when you do a role like this in the age Jeremiah, of social media, please, you kind of yes. just know, like, it's a possibility somebody might get a look. You, you kind of like put that in the back in your mind. Like, if it happens, it happens. I have to be okay with that. Obviously, that doesn't make it right or wrong. Listen. That someone does. That someone does and it. I'm just gonna like, keep it a buck for all the people who've been thirsting and standing for Jesse Lightes Williams for how <laughs> many years? They were like, "Look at that! My fantasy has been confirmed." And I heard his rumors that he might not. Now he, that he might now go back to Grey's Anatomy. So you know, look, doors are open. <laughs> Let me tell you something though, um, because I see him in a slightly different light now. Um, <laughs> my man Rome Flynn has been on this season, so I've been like tuning back in and stuff. So, like, you know, I candy, I candy really works for Grace. That's all I got to say about that. So, like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll spend the block on it and for it. Oh, not spend the block. It is time that we bring you all some joy with our Black Joy news story of the week. A story of Black Joy. So, going from, you know, dick <laughs> into something a little bit more sweet. Um, what sh- dicks are you not? I, I'm. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> that yeah, yeah. What Finish that? the sentence, the people please. Know. I mean, I I don't consider the two not uh, mutually exclusive. Well, I guess it depends on what's, according to some people. It depends on what's a part of your diet. What's part of your diet? You know. Touché. So, you know, and if anyway. you have a diet where something is going on, you don't need to be dealing with that person no more. But please continue with the Black Joy story. For the Drink week. your water, guys. Drink your water. Drink your water. Um, so this is a great Black Joy story. So okay, if you guys are familiar with the, the um, painting, the Sugar Shack that was painted by Bill Perkins. If you aren't familiar with it, it's the same painting that's on Marvin Gaye's I Want You album. And it's mm-hmm. also. Say it again. Start. The painter. The painters. Start over again. The painters, Ernie Barnes. It was sold to Bill Perkins. Oh, I'm looking at Bill Perkins. You're right. Thank you. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the painting, The Sugar Shack, but it was painted by Ernie Barnes. And it's also the painting that's featured on Marvin Gaye's I Want You album and also on Good Times, that iconic, you know, photo of the Black folks dancing, you know, getting their life, getting their life. It sold for $15.3 million at an auction to Bill Perkins, who's a hedge fund manager and entrepreneur. But this is the thing I like about the story the most. It was only estimated to be sold for $150,000 to $200,000. What? But Perkins was like, he had to do whatever he needed to do to get this painting. Like, and he, we're going to save y'all from doing the research that we all did. Perkins is black. He's a black man. Because <laughs> I know y'all in the car like, that better than so to a black man. Yes. Well, he, he said this too, which, which proves he's a black man. He said, I would have paid a lot more for it. He basically said, for certain segments of America, this is more famous than the Mona Lisa, this painting. Yes, Which absolutely. is, I could agree with. I would rather have this than the Mona Lisa because we being 1, real. 1,000%. It got more of a, a more of a vibe. I mean, it, you know? well, it's also connected to other parts of Black pop culture. I mean, Good Times is a fixture of Black pop culture, and Black pop culture exists very differently than pop culture in other places. It is an integral part of like our continued narrative. So I agree. Mm-hmm. So my next question is for you, Amanda Seals: Are you dropping fifteen point three million dollars for a piece of art? Because I can paint you something right now. I got ah! you. Well, she could. I don't have that kind of money. See, remember when I told you? Remember when I told you? You got that blue check, girl. That bracket. That blue check. That blue check, man. People paying for that. No, let me tell you. You could paint her something, but she could probably paint herself something because, for those that don't know, Amanda Steele's is an artist. I'm 
I'm mad that comes with $15.3 million listen, for Amanda Seals original. Listen, people were asking me, like, are you guys like, because I did put a painting up that I recently was fin- had finished working on. And Taj went with me to go buy a giant canvas, by the way, the other day. We had to stick it out the rooftop yes. of the Jeep <laughs> to get it back here. But I... um. I started painting again after doing an artist series of interviews on my podcast, Small Doses. And people have been asking me like, oh, are you going to sell them? Are you going to are you going to do an art show or whatever? And it's definitely something that I would love to do, especially if it's um, able to be not if, but I would love to do it for the purpose of it being able to be connected to, you know, a an organization or two or three that is dedicated to bringing education resources to underserved communities. I mean, you can start with the Jeremiah Jones Foundation. You know, we're all about helping the youth. I was going to say, what's the Jeremiah Jones Foundation about? We help the youth at my address, meaning me, <laughs> you know, live their best life. It ain't, and I was about to say, you should have just said to pay off the student loan. Pay them off. Pay them unless, off I was about to say, unless that's just my current plight, because anxiety <laughs> once a day, like, wow, you still have these things. For this degree. Also, I mean, Bill Parkins, if you're listening, feel free to donate $15.3 million <laughs> to us as well, you know. But yeah, that was our Black Joy story for the day. I hope you, that brought you guys a little bit of Black Joy to kick off your Monday morning. Mm-hmm. As we get into some Black testifying with A Niggas Got Me Fucked Up Monday. A niggas got me fucked up. Oh, niggas got me fucked up. Not today. These are funny. And I'm, I, I love this. So I'm just going to get into it. Rag Paper Media said... This is who has them fucked up. And I think we can all agree the FCC for not yanking the Fox quote unquote news mm-hmm. broadcast license. So that's yes. a true testimony. And uh, they're not wrong. Um, the Wanda Wise said any capitalistic system or entity that says, quote unquote, we don't have the budget for that is going to be my answer every week. By the way, shout out to Dewanda Wise, married to my high school homeboy. Alano Miller, and Ooh. she is one of the stars of the new Jurassic film. So I want to the new Jurassic film. So shout out to Duanda. We just need to do like a six degrees of seals. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone admitted seals now. Like, or or how? Because I totally forgot that there is that connection there. But yeah, there, there's definitely a six degrees of seals that needs to go um, somewhere. I've been around. I done spun the block. I done spun the block. Um, and then lastly, this is Michelle Thomas said, these gas prices. Huh. So apparently a bill was just passed in the House um, to control the price gauging and uh, the price gouging. Sorry, the price gouging. And all the Republicans voted against it. The, when I tell you, these people are not for the people. And like, I don't know why the people who are considering themselves Republicans like think that it's for them because it's not. I just I don't get it. What are they voting for at this point? They voted against the baby formula. They've, I'm like, what are y'all? What are y'all here to do at this point? Just because in their minds, they're just like, we're just gonna vote against anything that this administration tries to do to help people, mm-hmm. so that we can say, aha, y'all couldn't make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's very basic. Like when I, when you really get to the bottom of it, it's just it's playground getting politics, weird, guys. It's getting very it's, weird. It's just playground politics. It's like you can't play. You can't play. I know I have the ball, but you can't play. And it's like, but you bored too. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> could both play. <laughs> like no. Well, but no, these gas prices are ridiculous. No, it's crazy. It just, it upsets my soul and disturbs it. But if you drive around Los Angeles, there are definitely some sections where the gas is 649, I mean, excuse me, 749 mm-hmm. per gallon. What? Yes. So there's a gas, I mean, I was in, I was because there's a gas station towards Beverly Hills that's always 
been above and be OD. Crazy. It's every time you go past, it's just like I would have to be like below E to stop here to even just put half of a gallon in my car. <laughs> but yeah, right. like seven forty nine per gallon. What kind of what's in that gas? That's what I want to know. That gas must have some special like um, it lasts long. It's, it's like a slow burning gas. You hope. It never really I feel like away. it has an aromatherapy that emits something inside your car that like makes you happier or makes you smarter or something because Not I don't the gas getting you high. What kind of hey, <laughs> you know, I I was in Birmingham, Alabama this weekend celebrating my mother's 75th birthday. She's always wanted to go to Muscle Shoals recording studio. So we took her and um, their gas was $4 and they were complaining about it. And I was like, I mean, I, I respect the complaint, but also I'm I, telling you in the South, that's high. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. But I also was like, I'm calling for, oh my God, did you see, you see, you see what R. Kelly fucking did? Ooh. R. Kelly made songs that are just in your brain and then you just naturally sing the tune and you realize, oh my God, I can't sing that. I can't That's sing that because fuck every that. Every single time. Can't sing it. Case in point, clubbing Marcus Houston every time. <sighs> well, thank you all for joining us. Um, it's been another wild ride here at Smart, Funny, and Black Radio. Uh, remember, if you have not signed up for the Amandaverse and you are a fan of all things Amanda, then you're missing out. It's a good time. We got some good stuff for you. And if you want to, you know, follow me on my journey to my next stand-up special, that's the perfect place to be because you'll get to see sets that you're not going to see on these Instagrams, on these internets. Um, nowhere else. You know, nowhere, you know, else. nowhere else. You're going to get to see the process. And I know y'all love to be a part of the process and I love to have you all as a part of the process. So make sure you sign up at amandaverse.com. Also, again, we will be at the Kennedy Center July 22nd and 23rd with Smart Funny and Black Live, Small Doses Live, and I'll be doing stand-up. And if you want to check me out on the west side of things, you can check me out at the Brea Improv on June 23rd, 24th, and 25th. No, June 24th, 25th, 26th, uh, where I'll be doing stand-up. And it's like an hour outside of LA. So if you miss these two sold-out shows that I have at the Improv in LA, then you can just take a little trip and come on out and hang out with us in Brea. All right? Remember, we are each other's business. When we look out for each other, we lift each other up. I told y'all before what I meant when I said that and I meant it and I mean it. Next up, before we go, we always close out with a clip from a Smart Funny and Black live show. My homeboy, Wayne Brady, uh, alumni of Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, Florida. That's right. That's right. Class of 89, Wayne Brady is. Uh, check him out here, breaking down the butters for us when he was on the show uh, with Colton Dunn in 2017. Peace, y'all. Smart Funny and you are going to be explaining yes, ma'am. to Kelly why black folks love the butters. The butter! Cocoa butters. Shea butter. Jojoba butter. Why do we specifically be about the butters? Okay, so I've got to up the ante because my man set a high bar. So. So I will attempt to do all three in this song. There will be spoken word, there will be singing, and there will be some bars. Bars with a Z, okay. I'm here for it. So gentlemen, to start off the spoken word, just give me, you know, the uh, little spoken word. (laughs) And then we'll go into like a Tribe Called Quest thing and mix with some music soul chat. Kelly, <laughs> little Kelly, 
advice to you I would love to give you of mixed up, uncertain DNA heritage. <laughs> These words that I utter, that I utter, that I utter. These words that I utter. To drop knowledge, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. About why we the dark, we the chocolate, we the we the caramel love so well the skin does tell. Tonight, tonight things have been said so hard that we cannot take back. It may be in a certain situation, Tristan, you get cut no slack. But when I talk about the butter, I will not stutter because this black skin don't cry. Yeah. I'm talking about my brother. See now, oh, now, now, I'm not crazy, but I've got to say one thing. George Washington Carver kicked off the peanut swing. Without that peanut butter jelly would be lonesome on the white, on the white, white bread. And that begins the genesis of the weed that we love the butter. That is what I said. Where it was moist Out in the Serengeti That was our choice I go there Every day we would use our voice And we did not need no butter But then Somebody brought us shit Gave us a choice Not really We got on and we were there You see me And then it was hot We were picking cotton It was dry and arid and got so rotten We were misbegotten And somebody said Look over there It took a little bit of shade why your skin so smooth? Why your skin so shiny? Simple little fact you got to remind me Cause I love the butter I know that I love the butter Say now, sit food of the butter Because it make me feel smooth Touch it, that's enough Oh, now, have to understand Kelly See me on the telly Don't call me down the digits Can't reach me on the celly But right now, here we go If it was a book this week Right here on the stage, this chocolate man, you can't get past me. Wake up in the morning, she'd be kinda ashy. Open up my drawers, look what I saw. The shade butter here, here, and up in my balls. I was like, begin some warm and some chocolate. But spoke with the dreams and the cute can't see. I love all the shade butter, coconut butter, butter. If I can rub it on this shit, I'll use another butter. Check it out. Bring it out.